thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Hey, good morning, Connect Church. Let's thank our team for leading us out today. And man, it is so good to see, especially those who are visiting with us today. We are honored that you would come and be a part of Connect Church. And wow, hey, what an Easter celebration we had last week. I'm going to tell you what, it was, uh, man, there was a lot of services. But God poured out a whole lot as well. In fact, I want to share with you my, my favorite moment of this past weekend, Larry and Samantha's, when, when you guys came up right after the 11 o'clock service. It was our fourth and final Easter service, and, and, and I watched Mama have some tears in her eyes, and little Lily have tears in her eyes, and she came up and shared with me that that morning she had placed her faith and trust in Jesus Christ and made him Lord of her life. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that, you know, as well. Uh, we got to celebrate that with over 40 people last week who indicated placing their faith and trust in Jesus. And just an incredible weekend. And I want to thank you. Thank you for attending or adopting a service. Thank you for so many who served the Lord faithfully through the life of Connect Church. Uh, we welcomed nearly 1,700 people across four services last weekend. And I'm going to tell you something. You welcomed them and loved on them well so thank you so much and here's what our prayer is is God would you do it again today but would you would you move again today would you do a work again today that can only be as described as God moving and not any working of man so grateful that you are here I also want to address um, some of the ugly emails and text messages I got about Cadbury eggs now listen for those of you who are so hateful I'm praying two things number one you get saved today. Number two, I just want to let you know that I'm fasting for you until lunch today, all right? And so listen, when I start fasting, God starts moving. It's a big deal. So just so you know uh, that. But today, I want us to, on this Sunday, I want us to venture back into a series of messages we have done before Easter and leading up to Easter called Ask Me a Question. This is just for one Sunday. Next Sunday, we are doing a brand new sermon series in the book of Nehemiah. And what we're going to do there is, is we're going to learn and we're going to talk through what it is to transition God's vision into our everyday reality. I'm really excited about studying the book of Nehemiah together. But today, I want us to ask a question. An important question at an important time. And here it is. You ready? What? Or what strategy? Is there a strategy for families to raise their children to live counterculture in today's crazy culture wars? I didn't know if y'all knew this, but there are just some crazy culture wars that are going on around us. Is there a strategy is, is God just completely caught off guard? Or is there a strategy through the Word of God for families to raise their kids to live counterculture in today's crazy culture wars? Now, as we look through this, I want to I define a couple of terms we've mentioned already. And that is this, you ready? What is a culture war? Simply put, a culture war is conflict between groups with different ideals, beliefs, and philosophies. Have you seen any of that around? That's what a culture war is. We also know this, that to live counterculture, it simply means this, that it's a way of life, a set of attitudes opposed to the prevailing social norm. 
This is what it is to be counterculture. And I want to make two statements here that I want us to, to follow through with in the sermon today. Number one, Jesus was counterculture. He was, and he is, and he evermore will be counterculture. Number two, we must not only live, but we must also raise our children to live a counterculture life in Jesus Christ. Yeah, think of Jesus and whether it was confronting the religious elite who had perverted the law of God in Matthew 23 or, or touching a leper when no one else was supposed to. We find that in Scripture in Matthew chapter 8. Or maybe forgiving a woman caught in adultery and, and getting an angry crowd to put down their stones in John 8. Or maybe the time that Jesus here healed a paralyzed man on the Sabbath in John chapter 5. Or the time that he called a tax collector to follow after him in Matthew chapter 9. We find that Jesus was engaged in counterculture in ongoing cultural wars in the Jewish community and in Roman culture. I, I want you to hear me something about culture wars. They are nothing new. And listen... They're nothing new. And so what that means is, is that God is not sitting on his throne going, man, what are we going to do? It's brand new culture wars coming. In fact, for centuries, believers have found themselves surrounded by, by culture wars. And here's what is at the heart of the culture war we're engaged in today. It's what we find in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, what Jesus would say. And Jesus said this, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. In some of your translations, they're against me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. And we know this, that there are those in our culture today who are against Christ and who are actively working against those who follow him. You see, it's a culture war like so many. Designed and devised by an enemy we know all too well. An enemy who said in John chapter 10, Jesus would say about this enemy, that he comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And one of his tactics is creating a culture that is not only counter to truth, it is one that conflicts with the word of God and stands in stark contrast to Jesus Christ. Therefore, Peter reminds us, man, what are we as believers to do? He says this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Hey, and by the way, don't we know this is true? That old enemy, he's pretty good at devouring families and people and homes. He's good at devouring hearts and and lives, and we know this. He's after our kids. He's after their hearts. He's after their minds. Now you might say this, Henry. Listen, I don't have any kids. I don't plan on having any kids. What, what could a, a message like this be for me? Man, you're too young to have kids, or maybe you've already had kids. And, and praise God, they live somewhere else, right? You kicked them out of the house, and, and you're in a new place. I mean, what does a message like this have anything to do with me today? You ready? I want you to hear me. It is going to take all of us, not just some of us. It is going to take all the church to rally around families in our communities to reach our kids for Jesus. Maybe you're a child in here, maybe 9 or 10 years old, or 
you're a teenager and you go, what, what does this have to do with me? Let today's service reminder to you that you are loved and you are cherished. And as a church, we will stand and we will fight for you. And may, maybe also, it'll start instilling in you, child or teenager, one day what God's design in his heart is for your marriage and your family, and if he blesses you with them, with your kids. Maybe, just maybe, God will work that beginning now at your age. You see, at Connect Church, our mission is to connect everyone with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've answered the how. How do we go about with doing that? You ready? Here's three ways. We love God, we love people, and we make disciples. We make disciples. You see, making disciples is at the very heart of God's offensive against a kingdom of darkness and at the heart of God's mission to save this world. You see, victory in culture wars does not begin in the White House or the State House, in the courthouse, or even the schoolhouse. It begins in your house, believer. It begins in your home. You see, your home constitutes the greatest disciple-making arm in the very kingdom of God, and the stakes, they are high. We must embrace the fact that God designed your home to be the training, proving, and sending ground for you, your children, and your grandchildren. You see, I had a pastor friend of mine tell me recently that he read a study And the study kind of came to this conclusion. What a child believes by the time they are 12 or 13 years old is more than likely what they will believe for the rest of their lives. No wonder they're after our kids. And it should be a challenge to all of us to go after our own children with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to take a look just for a moment. I love this. This is the great Shema of the Old Testament that Jewish people to this day pray. And it's a beautiful prayer. It's a great statement of faith. But I want you to see where God, whose court God puts the ball into when it comes to discipleship. You might be surprised. Listen. In Hebrew, that is Shema. That means to hear and to put in action. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord, in your translation may say, is one. It's the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. All right? We're all good there. But how does this play out practically? Watch this. You ready? I went one too far. Repeat them, watch, again and again to who? Your kids. Your children. Talk about them when you are at home. When you're on the road. When you're going to bed. When you get up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. In Israel today, there are still devout Jewish men who do that. Write them on the doorpost of your house. And on your gates. You see, God's design for discipleship for you and your family, its greatest impact is in your home. Because it is God's design in your home for discipleship to take place that makes the greatest difference and counters culture. 
You might ask this question, though. Well, Anthony, you're talking a lot about discipleship in the home. Well, well, define for me, if you would, what is discipleship? Well, Paul does a really good job of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I love this in the New King James Version. Imitate me, Paul writes, just as I also imitate Christ. Man, right there in that verse, we see a beautiful picture of discipleship. It is following Jesus, and you ready? Helping someone else follow him. Let me ask you this question, church. Hey, husband, can you look to your wife and say, imitate me just as I imitate Jesus? Hey, wife, can you look at your husband? Insane to say, hey, can you get in the van today, heading over to Shoney's, to the buffet there, which is beautiful? Can you look at your kids in the back seat and go, hey, follow my lead as I follow Jesus' lead in my life. You see that? is at the very heart of all discipleship. Let's consider a case study here out of the Old Testament. In the book of Daniel, chapter 1, I love this. We know that the Babylonians have come in, and they have conquered Jerusalem. And, and so they go in, and they take the best and the brightest, and they exile them to the capital of Babylon to be used by the king. Well, we begin to see that a command is given, and they are to find young men. Watch this. Young men without any physical defect, Handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Am I crazy or is that not just me, right? Like, I know they would have picked me to do this, but maybe not. Here we go. You ready? And here's what, here's what the heart of what they were trying to do. Train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon. Isn't it amazing that the first place they go is education? Train these young men. Well, let's find out. They don't just... Talk about training. Watch what happens here. Watch in verse 6. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. In verse 7, the chief of staff renamed them. Hey, guys, listen. Not only are they training, now they're renaming them. And watch this, in these Babylonian names. Isn't it amazing that with the exception of Daniel, we only know these other guys by their cultural Babylonian names? Watch what he does here. Daniel is called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their names changed from names that honored the one true God to names that were given to honor the cultural gods of Babylon. Hey, you know what? Babylon wasn't just in it for the education of these four teenagers. They were bent on indoctrination. Education is this, giving or receiving systematic instruction. Uh, that's your reading. That's your literature. That is that devil thing called math, right? All of these things come together and they form education. Indoctrination has synonyms such as brainwashing, such as propaganda. And thus was the goal of the Babylonians, who go as far as to change the names of these teenagers in order to have them denounce their faith in the one true God, to denounce the teaching of their faith, in order that these teenagers would buy into the culture and the teachings of the Babylons. 
Why? It's simple. So that they can control them. So that they can control their minds and their hearts. And thus, they would have faithful servants in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. But something's wrong in this story. Because in in just a couple chapters later, in Daniel chapter 3, despite the Babylonians' indoctrination attempts, we find three Hebrew teenagers standing counterculture in an incredible scene, refusing to bow to culture in the image the king had set up because they knew the truth of God found in Exodus 25, which teaches they were to bow to none but God. And I have a question. How did these young teenagers... What our culture still considers as children. How was it that they stood counterculturally in the midst of a world bowed down to culture? Without question, as is evidenced in the text, these teenage boys had either parents or grandparents behind the scenes who showed them what it was to live as disciples, to follow after the very heart of God and his truth. Teaching them as the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6 teaches us to love the Lord their God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, and with all of their strength. They were counterculture and able to stand that day. Why? Because they were discipled in their home. They were discipled. In their home. I, I want to share a truth with you today. I'm a little bit quick on the draw here. Our children will be discipled either by default or by design. Your children will be discipled either by default or by design. You ready? If you do not disciple your children, culture will. God's design for discipleship, and again, let me, let me remind you, begins in the home and continues through the life of the church and leads to counterculture living, yes, even in our kids. Hey, church, we, we live in a, a culture of confusion, and this is why it's so important. You know, a lot of people, in light of a message like this, we've mentioned culture wars and counterculture. Do, do you pastor anything? Do you get up every day ready to, to wage a culture war and to fight it? To be honest with you, no. My greatest passion every day that I get up is to win culture, not to wage war with it. On some days, I wake up and I simply weep for culture. Now, you get close to my kids, and I'll fight whatever battle I have to fight. But most of the time, I am heartbroken by the confusion an enemy has sown into our culture by the lies and deceit that people believe. And it absolutely breaks my heart. So I go and I I do everything I can to win, win culture, and when I can't, I weep. But we find ourselves in a culture of confusion. Confusion that has been at work, mind you, since the fall of man. And get Genesis, God told Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree and the knowledge of good and evil because if you do, you will surely die. And here comes that old liar himself, the devil who questioned God, sowing confusion into humanity's story with these four words. Did God really say? Hmm. Did God really say? 
And culture has been asking that question ever since that first garden party was wrecked and crashed by the enemy. Did God really say? You see, in a culture of so much confusion, church, your home must be the place. Yes, the church ought to be a place of it too. But more importantly, your home must be the place where your children can learn the clarity of God's design and the certainty of God's truth. For example, let me just kind of share this with you. Let me give you two points of cultural confusion that are kind of dominant today. And we find ourselves, and here's a point of cultural confusion, we find ourselves with this question, did God really say that he only created them male and female? Only two genders, aren't there, aren't there more? Well, here's a point of biblical clarity and truth. God said in Genesis 5, 2, he created them male and female. Thus, it is male and female alone. Nor is there any type of transitioning of genders. Do they fit in God's design? Your gender, and this is, we've got to teach this to our kids. Your gender as established by God, it serves to his glory and to your good. And to your good. If we don't teach it in the home, culture is going to teach them a whole different set of beliefs with a whole different set of answers. Here's another point of cultural confusion. Did God really say that marriage is between one man and one woman? And here's the point of biblical clarity and truth. Yes, Genesis 2.24 teaches us that God designed marriage to be between one man and one woman in a covenant committed relationship for life. There is no other avenue or pairing that is part of God's design for marriage. And hear me. Your kids need to hear that. They, they need to know that. And by the way, it's okay for them to know that. It is not hatred. It's not bigotry. It is the truth of God's word. And we find ourselves in just two areas of cultural confusion and points of conflict in what are modern-day culture wars. Here's what we must understand. All is not lost, and we are not powerless. In every area of confusion in our culture, there is biblical clarity and truth for the believer to live counterculture. We must teach our children to not let what they see and hear and experience make them forget what the Word of God and the truth of God says. We must also teach them the joy and, yes, the challenge of living counterculture in the midst of some really crazy culture wars. And so that's the question of the day. How do we do it? What's God's design for counterculture living amidst all these crazy culture wars? You know, believer, hear me. Yes, vote, run for office, advocate, make your voices heard. Listen, you, you can go, believer, you can go and boycott every company whose CEO or company themselves do not believe like you do. Go and boycott them all. Now, let me warn you, if you do, you're going to have to live off the grid. You're going to have to have a good garden, get you a good cow and a good chicken, right? But by all means, go and do it. But all of that combined, the voting and the 
running for office and the advocacy and all, all of that combined. Boycott what you want, cancel whatever, subscribe. All of that combined has nowhere near the impact of you taking serious God's design for you to disciple your family in your house. I want to share with you some simple action plans to disciple your kids, to disciple them to, to follow Jesus and to live counterculture. And here's the first step. You ready? Pray for your children. Pray for your grandchildren. Pray for your nieces and your nephews, your cousins, whatever it plays out. Pray for your children. Pray for them. Pray over them. Pray with them every day. And here we don't stop. And I'm going to tell you, pray for your kids even when they're older and out of your home. Pray for your kids. I hear a lot of people decry the decisions of our culture and our courts to, to see to it that prayer was no longer in the public school system. And it always, it always just drives me crazy because I, I don't ever remember praying in public school systems, but I also remember that those who cry out the loudest that we should have it back are those who are the least likely to pray with their kids on the way to school. I, I, I don't need the school to pray with my kids, the public schools. But my kids need me to pray for them and over them and with them. Pray for your kids. Here, here's another simple step, and that is prioritize faith for your family. Prioritize faith for your family, and by the way, prioritize your faith family. Read the Bible together. Pray together. Have faith-building conversations together. Faithfully worship together in the local church. Guys, if you've been around here anytime, man, I'm not just bought into Connect Church alone. Man, if we're not doing it for you and your family, find a church that is. But be faithful where God plants you and your family. Be faithful to your local faith family. I want to share with you this. You know it to be true, but it deserves to be said. What you prioritize today for your children, they will prioritize in their tomorrow. But what you make optional today, what you do not prioritize today in your child's life, more than likely, they will not prioritize it tomorrow. That goes for faith, and that goes for church as well. I got to thinking, don't be caught off guard. Don't be surprised. If you do not prioritize faith and you do not prioritize the church, don't be surprised when your kids don't. And so we eat at the table together at least one night a week. We, we open the Bible. We do a family worship night. By the way, I'll point you to a resource here soon. We have faith conversations and we don't buy into the lie that it's too late to start prioritizing faith for your kids. It's not too late. You know, I got to thinking, I need to check my time. I got to thinking, man, from the minute one of my little kids has a tooth breaking through that gum line, you know what we're doing? We got a toothbrush in their mouth. You know what they hate doing? Brushing their teeth. Anybody ever been through the struggles real at night trying to brush your kids' teeth? And here's the deal, we, we, we make them do it. Why? Because if not, 
them teeth are going to rot out of their mouth, right? I don't want to give the dentist any more money. But we know that. Why? Because it's best for them. So even if they don't like it, man, we're brushing their teeth in the morning and at night. Can you sense the passion here? We were brushing them all the time. And for most of my kid's life, and my oldest is fixing to turn 10, they've hated brushing their teeth. But we do it because we know it's what's best for them. Can I tell you something more important to your kids than brushing their teeth? Than even brushing their teeth? Faith in Jesus Christ. It's one thing for your teeth to rot. It's another for their souls. What you prioritize for your children today is what they will prioritize in their life tomorrow. Prioritize your faith and prioritize your faith family. On purpose is the last thing. I want you to see this. Pray for your children. Prioritize faith for your family and on purpose. On purpose. Can I share with you, discipleship doesn't just happen. You have to disciple your children on purpose. Well, listen, that's what we pay you guys for. That's where the church exists. Are you crazy? Hey, listen to me. There are 168 hours in the week that's ahead of us. We get most children for an average time of one hour a week. That is 0.59% of 168 hours that we have the chance to pour Jesus into your kids. And although we do it well and we work hard at it, it's nowhere near enough. God didn't design the church to be the greatest influence in your child's life. That's your job. And that's your calling. Man, we're going to come on. I always tell people this all the time. I'm, I'm going to come in the room. I'm going to be the fattest cheerleader you have, right? That's what we're going to We're cheerleading all your faith. But family, the ball's in your court. Don't you sub it out to somebody else. That's not how God designed it. you got to do it on purpose. We remember this. You must live counterculture for Jesus in front of your kids. Let me remind you this truth. More is caught than is taught. They're going to, hey, are, are your kids catching Jesus from you? A love for him, a love for his word, a love for prayer. The greatest sermons we know are the ones that are lived and not preached, right? Like The greatest sermons your kids will ever see are not the preached ones, but the way you live your life. So to help you do that, there's some, some things, some resources we've gathered together under the parenting tool belt. Now, this is a QR sy symbol. Our team's going to kind of put it big on the screen back there. Um, but somehow, I think through witchcraft, you can actually take a picture of this thing, and it takes you to our resource page. Our staff has come together. There we go. Our staff has come together, man, from Paul David Tripp to parenting, a book on parenting to shepherding a child's heart from Ted um, trip to take back your family from Jefferson to family worship and how to do one. We've put on this resource link, man, a ton of podcasts that we believe would be wonderful for parents from children to teenagers to start listening to. How do you have those faith conversations? Because let me tell you, almost always they're awkward. They're hard. Kids don't ask the easy questions. They want to know the answers to the hard stuff. I was invited to King's to my daughter's third grade class, and the teacher said, hey, Pastor Andy, would you just come? They've all written down questions. Would you come and answer them? I'm like, no. 
Are, are you kidding me? You can't pay me enough to get in there. But because it's my daughter's class, I said yes. I mean, I'm going to tell you something. I studied for far more hours, far more time than I did for today's message to talk to third graders and to answer their questions on their pet going to heaven, to answer their question with the people when Jesus comes back. Anthony, um, will we sleep in heaven? I mean, how do you even prepare for something like that? But hey, listen, here's the problem. Our kids are asking faith questions that we don't take the time, nor do we prepare to answer. And what happens is, is when we fail, there's a world out there, a culture with far more questions and far different answers that they're going to feed into your kids. We've got some resources to help. Anthony, spoon feed me more so I could be better. No, no, listen to me. At some point, you got to buy into the fact that God's design for your family was for me not to be the greatest influence in their life, but for you in Christ to be that. For not to be the church, but your home. We've got some resources we're going to add to this. Dominic and I are launching a podcast on Wednesday just about, man, how can we be more intentional and on purpose do discipleship in our home with kids and teenagers? And so we're going to launch that on Wednesday, so hopefully you guys will tune in. But guys, at some point, you've got to see the importance of discipling your family. I want you to hear me as we close. You've heard it said that the church is not a country club for the saints. Amen. And that's right. But we are also not a compound for separatists. We are not a haven for the secularist. Hear me. We are a hospital for sinners. We are the very training and proving and sending grounds for the saints. We need to be prepared as a church to take on the casualties of the culture wars that are raging among us in order to bring the good news and hope of Jesus, a Jesus that can heal every wound he sees. But also, we can't lock our kids in our homes, fearful and terrified of culture. We disciple our children in order to send them into culture as salt and light, living counterculture lives for Jesus. And yes, while they are young, we have got to be extra guarded and careful. We must protect them from secular indoctrination by the way that is coming to them at all too young of an age. I want to close with this story. Corey Tin Boone, an incredible Christ follower. Family was killed in the concentration camps because they hid Jews from the Nazis. Well, she survived. Incredible believer, but she tells the story one day of a conversation between her and her dad on a train. And she says this, and so I was seated next to my dad on that train compartment, and I suddenly asked, hey dad, what is, what is sex sin? What is sexual sin? Well, he turned and looked at me, as he always did when he answered a question, but to my surprise, he said nothing. He said nothing. He stood up and he grabbed the bag he was traveling with. He filled with watches and, and different tools and parts to watches. And, and it was very full. He set it on the ground before me, she says. And he looked at his daughter and said, Hey, Corey, will you carry that bag off the train for me? 
Well, although she was a little girl, she said, I, I was going to impress my dad and, dad. and so she started pulling on the back and trying to lift it. And, and she began soon to realize that it was just too heavy. And she looked at her dad, kind of defeated, and said, Dad, it's just too heavy. I can't. He looked at his daughter and said, you know what? I know you can't. I'd be a pretty poor father if I were to ask my little girl to carry such a heavy load. Corey, it's the same way with knowledge. Some knowledge is just too heavy for children. When you are older and stronger, you can bear it. But for now, you need to trust me to carry it for you. What a lesson lost in our culture today. Instead of carrying heavy things for our children, some in our culture want to crush our children with too heavy of a load. They're just too young. They're not strong enough. So church, family, we must carry the load for our children and not allow anyone to crush them. And not just some of us in the church. All of us need to carry this load. We must stand up for our kids even when a whole world bows to culture because we are convinced one of the greatest ways God designed for us to stand for our kids is what Proverbs 22, verse 6 instructs. Train a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not turn from it. Your house is the greatest discipleship arm in the kingdom of God. What are you going to do with it? Let's pray together, can we? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.